Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive. You want some perspective? Let's see. Crime is rising, and crime will be the issue. The issue in America in the midterm elections, just weeks away now. Another issue, as the hurricane hits the Florida coast, media is going to try to turn away from the dead of fentanyl. There's tens of thousands of people dead already as that border is porous like a sieve. And as all this is happening, and you don't know how to deal with it, and you're concerned about who's telling you what and what their agenda is, just know this. Charles Lipton is here. And if you're on the Chicago way, even though it's a little dark and the cobblestones are broken and the streets are bumpy, you can hear him. He'll guide you through. Jeff Carlin is here, too. He's holding the light. Jeff, WGN, AM, executive producer and future physics teacher. And maybe he'll tell you how light bends in the night. And I'm John Cass, husband, father, editor-in-chief of johncassnews.com. As Pritzker calls people racist if they dare bring up his Safety Act failures as the fentanyl dead remain closed and forgotten and cold by the media, except for their parents and a few odd detectives, they're ignored. And where are you with all this? You're on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. The the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand. Defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And we're joined, as promised, by one of the great minds in the Midwest, Professor Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus at the University of Chicago, the Peter B. Ritzma Chair who writes at uh, charleslipson.com, and you can see all his stuff. I think you're quite prolific. You have like three columns a week. You must be insane, like that Cass fellow. Uh, Putin's fresh cannon fodder and nuclear threats won't work. Charles Lipson, 26th of September, Newsweek. And then Spectator World, why Republican governors sent those immigrant buses. Oh, that's delicious. Mm. If If I were smoking... Still smoking, Charles? I'd light one up right now to savor that. And uh, If I were still in college, I'd light up something different. And the Biden administration enters Baghdad Bob territories on inflation and immigration. 
Charles, okay, these three to topics are amazing, and you've got something else coming out on freedom of speech at college campuses. Uh, I'm negotiating right now where it should come out, but the issue on college campus and free speech is a very, very important one, not only because it's essential to education on campus, but because the illiberalism yeah. on college campuses has now spread as these students have gone out into the working world. Um, and the basic point is if you feel uncomfortable or if the ideas are troubling to you, you now feel free to shut them down. And this has happened at many of our leading universities. But I try to go beyond that to say what universities can and should do uh, to correct that because there are measures to correct it and some schools have done a lot better than others at the very best of the list is the university of chicago i'm happy to say <laughs> and at the very worst is columbia university a very fine university whose president is a specialist well, in free many, speech law how many of these oh I, irony is dead as well but how many of these people uh go on to become journalists and shut down debate. How many of these kids come out and become Jacobins in the journalism world and shut people down for posing well, I, threatening I think ideas? a lot of them would like to. I think the good <laughs> news I think the good news is that uh there are so many more outlets. Your podcast yes. being an example, the Tribune tried in various ways to shut you down and you just went to another, to John Cass News, uh, set up your own website, and you, uh, I think next week you'll have more subscribers in the Tribune. But that's, <laughs> that's because, thank you, Charles, but that's because people like you stood up and defended me and uh, prevented me from being... Well, I appreciated the, the check, John. I really appreciated the check. I mean, uh, I was on the fence for a long time. If only I had known that it was so easy, I would have had you write for John Cass News by now. But uh, but I, I'm, 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 I'd gladly pay you Tuesday. For <laughs> I'll have my lawyer call your lawyer. Call him today. All right. So, uh, well, let's see. Let's see the the what we're facing in the next eight weeks. Are uh, the news media not wanting to cover the border? <laughs> not right. wanting to get, not wanting oh. to get their French uh, Joe Biden upset, and so I guess they'll be rushing to Florida to cover the uh, deadly hurricane. What is it, I Ivan or uh, I, I, Ian. I, Ian? 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're blaming it on the Irish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just posted uh, on various social media uh, the following. Here is a surefire prediction. The national media will watch DeSantis' response to the hurricane with a microscope, looking for any flaws in the emergency response or the rebuilding effort. The mainstream media consider DeSantis a top contender for 2024, so sinking him is a high priority. Which, if you're going to pick a target, that's a dumb target, in my opinion, because if anybody knows how to deal with a natural disaster, it's going to be Florida. I mean, it's not like this is their first go around. And Well, you were talking about the, the media protecting uh, or going after DeSantis. I looked yeah. up I looked up Stacey Abrams <laughs> denies the, the 
Peter, the baby has a heartbeat, and the Planned, Her- Planned Parenthood comes to her rescue somehow by, you know, create creating new science. Well, you know, th- uh, there's also there's, no there's another odd aspect uh, about this election, which is if you think about the two people who ran in the last election, Biden and Trump, each party has walked away mm-hmm. from its nominee. The 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 polling uh, says, and the Democrats' strategy says, avoid Biden. Yeah. Uh, if if Democrats, if Republicans could pay Biden to go into con- to contested states, they would do so. And the Republicans are doing the same about avoiding Trump. Not in the not in the um, primaries where he carries significant weight within the Republican Party, but. Uh, but he just alienates large numbers of independents, educated uh, voters, especially women, and so forth. So both parties have walked away. And if you think about the third person who's run over the last uh, six mm-hmm. years, it's Hillary Clinton. And have you seen her anywhere? Oh my God. Well, she has that show, a show out that's getting I, – I haven't seen it, but I know it's, it's right. out there. But and not I, on the campaign trail. No, you right. Seen Maybe. any candidates want her near them? No. Wait, is, isn't she busy with her daughter Chelsea? Right. And um, the what's her name? Um, Susan Rice. And aren't Please. they sit, standing around or sitting around a boiling cauldron, past, oh, passing an eye between them? <laughs> John, well, it's I mean, almost Halloween. No, it's Macbeth. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, it does. It does seem like we have a kind of geriatric uh, yeah. uh, uh, leadership class that is being rejected uh, by the public. Uh, the polling shows that most Democrats, uh, over half, don't want Biden uh, to be their nominee uh, mm-hmm. next time around. And as the recession worsens, those numbers will worsen. Trump is a giant roadblock, I think, to the Republicans winning back uh, the presidency. And the question is whether DeSantis uh, will take him on. Others will take him on, but I don't think they can get past him. And the problem with getting past Trump is that you have to not only get past him, but you have to, uh, he will come at you you know, hammer and tongs, and you have to later be able to get his voters yeah, to vote down. for you in the general election. I'm not sure. I mean, I've been told all my life that the ideal thing is for people to vote for the good, for something that they support. Like, I like this man. Mm-hmm. I will support this man. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I guess now that I'm in my old age and, uh, Becoming bitter and about to scream at clouds. Any, any Get off my lawn, politics. <laughs> I think. I think it also politics is also driven by. Hey, right. I might. I might not disagree. Agree with my guy, but you know what? I hate you guys even more. Well, and I right. think that's uh, that's something that's animating our politics now. That is maybe. A, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't it's. Think- not just our politics. I mean, all sorts of aspects of life. It seems these, these days, even if we don't believe politically with somebody, then we're all of a sudden mortal enemies. It seems like more and more people are just, you know, oh, I can't be around that person. They're this, all right. And they don't, I, I don't and think it, the left understands how much 
I despise them. <laughs> I'm sorry, but well, it is true now. I, well, I do true. think that that most of our elections in recent years have been throw the bums out elections. Yeah. Uh, I thought what was so brilliant about the way that David Axelrod uh, pitched the Obama campaign in 2008, uh, Hope and Change, was it was a throw the bums out election which he pitched as these vague, you know, uh, uh, sort of ink blot terms, hope and change. They mean whatever you want them to mean. But after that, it's been mostly just throw the bumps out. And I would say, and and we've talked about this before, uh, John and Jeff, uh, is that there, there has always been, or for a long time, been in American politics, a kind of overriding notion of what I would call civic nationalism. That is, it doesn't sort of man it matter where your ancestors came from. Ultimately, uh, the overriding identity is, is unifying. Uh, when that split apart, we had a civil war. Of course, it's, it's understandable that a lot of, uh, that there was racism and, uh, uh, unforgivable racism and, that uh blacks didn't feel that they were part of that unity and and oftentimes they were right i i think what's changed in the last couple of decades has been um a kind of intellectual movement that's taken wider hold in the society that emphasizes these uh distinct identities and often pits them against each other which is uh which is very corrosive to our sense of civic unity i mean i think that's you're dead on there i, th- I think it's it's more prevalent in the left i mean john you and i have talked about this too but that this idea of divide and conquer kind of where if, if the left which has done for years at least my whole lifetime has tried to you know corral people into their own little pens to show that hey you're unique and special in your own little group but right. collectively, you know, you're the other, this other group over here is being, is worse to all of you. Like that idea that, that they can choose us out. Whereas I feel like conservatives, and again, just in my lifetime, from what I've experienced, seem to be the, the idea of more of the idea of, well, it doesn't matter who you are. We all have to be treated equally and power should be, you know, the person's power. Cause I've been, I've been going back and reading some you know, histories and, and listening to podcasts about old elections of the, from Washington all the way through. And that mentality that you were just talking about, Charles, the idea of like bringing us together, coalescing us as a union and being these United States. It, you know, I don't think that means anything to anybody anymore because we've been, because we've had one group on one side saying, you know, the government is terrible. We need less government. And the other side of the group saying, Hey, everybody, you know, we, we need to, we can protect ourselves. We can be our, you know, you think about your, your your own people first, and I don't I don't know how you how you get back to that without you know, another civil war or something. You know, aliens, right, John? As you always talk about, that's the only thing that'll bring us together if we're being invaded. Getting our juices sucked out through <laughs> alien straws <laughs> yeah, as they exactly. walk them with ten foot long, you know, ten foot long legs. <laughs> well, I think that that something subtle and cumulatively important happened. I think that on the left in particular, uh, the Democratic Party uh, was always about building an additive coalition. You put together the unions and you put together 
uh, African Americans, and you right. put together this group and that group, and you added them all up, and of course you gave government uh, benefits in mm. in selective ways to each to get them into an additive coalition, but uh, on intellectually on campus and so forth a lot of these movements have become much more um divisive and they've also especially on the progress the far left the progressive Mm -hmm. left have have taken a an attitude that uh, america is fundamentally a bad country that it its foundation it was founded in Sin. racism and slavery right. and uh and that uh the idea that thomas jefferson wrote uh all men are created equal and so forth was just a hoax and so all of this and it's just one long list of betrayals uh when you add th- that it that then there's no overarching tent so every group is pitted against each other and any larger uh grouping is itself uh devalued and i think that that's really harmful mm-hmm. and i think uh, uh, which is not to downplay the fact that there's been uh, a rise of uh white supremacy on the oh. very far right right and a lot of it justifies itself falsely by saying you know they're trying to replace us it's all these other groups and so forth but these are very noxious elements in public life. Well, I, I do tend to think that uh, the reason some of them think that way is because uh, media and uh, the leftist fever swamp, which is Twitter, has been full for years of sort of taunts and bragging about replacing these uh, Europeans. As soon as we can, and then we'll feel better about ourselves once we get them, once we have them excised. And but I you can see, John, you can really see now. You can really see now in the polling that the public is furious about uh, disorder in the cities, this yes. widespread lawlessness. Mm-hmm. They're they are increasingly upset about open southern border, not only because of immigrant. Uh, just it violates our basic notion that you need our permission to come into the country, but also because this fentanyl epidemic is yeah. is being fueled by it, and um, all of this is coming now um, in, in, uh, under the Biden presidency. Remember, um, there was one point seven percent inflation when Trump left office, and now. Uh, Biden tells us is zero inflation, but that's just <laughs> lunacy. And the pandemic's over. over eight percent inflation, and all he really was trying to say in his fumbling way was that it hadn't gone up right. month to month. But it, uh, the, uh, but it now looks like the Federal Reserve is determined to raise interest rates high enough to choke off this rampant inflation. And when they do, we're we're moving into a much more serious in. Uh, recession we've and had we'll to be there we'll be yeah. there we'll be there according to some estimates i've read uh all the way through 2025 uh, i uh, recessions don't last that long if it yeah. if it lasts that long it'll be a depression yeah 
but, but I, that we have no anticipation of that. But I must say that the rest of the developed world is also moving into recession, and the uh, situation with Russian uh, mm-hmm. fuel being cut off to Europe is also very serious. I mean, and the, the mild upside there being that is, you know, the whole world is facing ridiculous inflation right now. The U.S. is actually on the lower end of that scale as far as what we're experiencing at the moment. But, you know, we may just be ahead of where we were. I mean, it's just, it, there's a lot of things at play there. But it's an interesting point about the, the fentanyl thing, too, because, John, you and I were talking about this the other day a little bit and how it's, you know, this I, this this mentality of, I don't know. It's it feels like one a, compl- a conflagration of things. Like obviously the, dr- the war on drugs, which was it seemingly didn't do anything other than just reorder South America. Well, drugs won. Yeah, we're drugs won, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and and then you know compound that with the the immigration crisis, the, the, all the not the stuff that comes out of that. But but no one talks about it. I mean, we always see stories about it, and everyone's like, "Oh, you hang, wring your hands, and you hang your head." And I, you could talk to any, probably every sheriff in the in the county, in the city or out of the state, rather, of Illinois, will tell you that, yeah, that, that their officers are tired of, of trying to revive people and having to, to, to go to, to people's houses to, to see what they see. And it's just people overdosing on fentanyl. And, and it's growing to a point where it's, it's almost a, one of the largest killers of young people in this country is, is fentanyl and, overdose. And now these, these vending machines, they're these vending machines where you can buy the uh antidote just pull a, uh, yeah. a lever and and get it which tells you how prevalent the problem really is that's what Nar- you were, narcan what you were talking about earlier about a civic nationalism mm-hmm. i think applies when you think i had written a column about this a while back and asked or fantasized that i wanted to see all the parents of the fentanyl dead surrounding the white house and i didn't think many showed up this time but there still were more more people out there in front of the white house and and, mm-hmm. and uh but i've noticed that uh yeah the media does not want want to deal with this they don't want to deal with fentanyl dead they'd rather deal with uh down power lines yeah. and uh let's see pictures of desantis and um biden in Baseball caps and windbreakers, khakis, walking up and down, you know, palm-strewn, <laughs> destroyed streets, right. uh, pointing their fingers like at crews, you know, like be men of action. And, well, they know uh, how to cover that. Are. They yeah. know how to cover yeah. uh, these kinds of disasters, and right. they are important to cover. But as you say, um, and you know of course they'll use it also as a way to talk about global warming and so forth even though there have been fewer hurricanes in the past year than uh in recent years but i mean there are global warming problems but it seems to me that they are constantly shooting themselves in the foot at the white house uh, and they are absolutely Mm. determined on this. Baghdad Bob, as you said, <laughs> did your piece. Which, well, your piece yeah. is fantastic, Charles. Oh, thank I, you. I, I, it's hilarious. And yeah. I was a kid, you know, I was young, younger when that stuff all happened. And then my seeing that then reminded me of it. I went back and watched some of his videos and I was like a kid again, enjoying war from a faraway place. 
Bob, Baghdad Bob would stand in front of falling bombs and yeah. tell you everything was well. It was kind of like Leslie Nielsen and yes. some of those uh, Naked Gun movies where the, the, the whole thing is exploding and he's saying everything is just fine here. Go is away. It, isn't it nothing to Car- see? Isn't it Karine Jean Pierre? Oh, the, the God, secretary she's doing the same dreadful. thing, right? She's doubling dreadful. down. Yeah. She's dreadful. And, and, and she does, I mean, it. look, they, they've got to spin bad news. Mm-hmm. I understand. It, it's, it's uh, you so know, it's Sousier. not a good yeah. job. But yeah. but the fact is, she she's not very good at it. And she oh, has sure. to look, whenever she's asked a question, she has to sort of thumb through her mm-hmm. book to find what's been typed up as an answer. Then she reads it. Right. And, um, and it reminds me <laughs> of undergraduates on a, uh, on an essay exam and you ask them a question, uh, what started world war one? And they don't know the answer. And they say, that reminds me of what started world war two. <laughs> no. well, or I guess the question is, you might want to ask, uh, what started World War II? And the answer would be, uh, in that, World War I never ended, and uh, they just we just went into World War II. Well, after- actually, uh, the uh, one of the leading French politicians, generals, at the end uh, of the Versailles Peace Conference after World War I, Yes. Dead. This isn't a peace. This is a truce for twenty years, and he was off by one month. Mm. So yeah, but my point was just sometimes when you don't have the answer, you just answer a different question, and if you're going to do that, you have to be pretty smooth. Otherwise, it just looks like you don't have an answer. And, and she does yeah. not. And she does. But we have we have yeah. Charles Lipson here with us, and uh, news is breaking. For example, number one, we have uh, we have uh, a movement in Italy that uh, elected a conservative mom, female woman, <laughs> God fearing, speaking speaking in terms of her message has been about God family, and country, which now apparently, according to our media, is neo-fascism. Well, uh, what say you, Professor? I I simply don't know enough. Uh, uh, You know, there's a great uh, line that Clint Eastwood uses in one of his movies, a man's got to know his limitations. (laughs) And in this case, I just don't feel like I've done enough studying (laughs) about Oh, yeah. uh, what they're doing in Italy to really uh, know. I've I've confined myself to every other issue in the world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you can you I can feel I can, I get a sense that yes when the when they when they started you know because part of the news now is not really uh, striking out independently. It's waiting for a consensus to be built. Right. And this is the dangerous part of, in the news business when breaking news happens and there is no consensus mm-hmm. because then there's a lot of panicking going on in the pundit world. Uh, but I see now the consensus is uh, she's a conservative, therefore she must be a fascist or, in this case, according to the Washington Post, uh, a repackager of toxic populism. Well, what that- is with them? 
these people are just I, I I was among them for 40 years and I and as I left I thought did I spend my time in the house of the rising sun like dissolutely <laughs> where where the lies were told and everybody wanted to be loved oh you're so wonderful I love you oh you're so wonderful the politician tells the the journalist is that where I is that where I was living for 40 years well, well first of all the washington post uh is a a paper in a company town and the company town uh has kind of one view it's the permanent government it right. voted what about over 95% for biden right. uh in the last election and if you uh looked at the people with college educations and so forth you would see similar numbers uh the new york the new york times is a paper for uh published by people in manhattan uh who live in manhattan or brooklyn heights and they have all the same views and they're simply not exposed to other people you it's I think that the issue of populism, populism always has had a, a, a very dark side. Um, um, certainly Since Jackson. Huh? Well, Since Jackson. Le- I mean, less, Jack- less Jackson, I'm thinking, and less uh, William Jennings Bryan. Yeah, okay. Uh, but um, in the South, in Georgia, this is before uh, – Stacey Abrams was elected governor last time <clears throat> in her right. mind, right? Uh, but not actually in the ballots. Uh, Unfortunately, in, in the late nineteen hundred, in the late eighteen hundreds, um, uh, there was a man named Tom Watson who was kind of the original Southern agrarian populist, uh-huh. and he tried to build a black-white coalition, and it failed. And after it failed. Um, he became an ardent racist and rebuilt his populist movement as a racist movement. And in uh, the South, his successors were people like George Wallace. So there was always the possibility, uh, uh, James K. Vardaman in Mississippi and uh, so forth. There were Maddox in Georgia. And they were boycotting the Greek candy stores in Atlanta and all the way through the South in those days. Right? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, there were there Greeks were aren't white. We've Jews. talked about this. Yeah, yeah, they were they were going after. They were killing Jews. They were right. just not letting us sell let Greeks sell caramel candies or something. Well, you know, it caramel it was apple. interesting if you remember David Duke, the Ku Klux Klansman in uh-huh. um, in. Um, Louisiana, yeah. he he uh, almost won um, the governorship. He he ran against a, a, a flamboyant and very uh, corrupt um, um, and sexually very active guy named Edwin Edwards, uh, who had bumper stickers that uh, that said things like "elect the crook," meaning me. Edwin right. Edwards, elect a crook, it's important, and uh, our guy is better under the sheets than their guy. Oh, wow. um, and but but what's interest? One of the things that was interesting about Edwin Ed uh, about um, David Duke was that he 
won the white vote in uh, Louisiana. And that was only possible because the Klan, which once was virulently anti-Catholic, had dropped that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't mm-hmm. win that vote in Louisiana. So they had kind of adopted. And people don't realize, of course, that the second Ku Klux Klan, the first one being in the 1870s or 80s, whenever it was, but the one in the 1920s, the biggest uh, state, for the Klan was Indiana. Yeah. So I'm not going to sp- speak about that because I don't, <laughs> I don't drive south, but I did, I did, uh, I did have a good conversation with my new neighbors. Um, yeah. I went into a, uh, and which brings us to the issue that I want to talk about next. Yeah. Uh, I went into uh, the gun store. Okay. <laughs> I went into a gun store and said, what are the rules? You know, I just want to be a law abiding citizen, but what are the rules? And there's a guy behind the uh, the counter, big guy, and he said, uh, "You're John Cass, aren't you?" And I yeah. said, "Yes, I am. Thank you." And he goes, "I'm." He was a he was a, a Serbian a Serbian from a seminary a seminarian mm-hmm. uh, who uh, worked was at uh, Saint Michael Archangel, which is in the tenth ward, a storied a storied uh, parish there. And he said, uh, yeah, you're from Chicago, so let me tell you, you come from a communist country. <laughs> and now and now, now you're asking about guns, but I, I am here to tell you, Mr. Cass, that now you live in America, where people can care. The Constitution allows you to protect yourself in Indiana. <laughs> and it struck me, uh, Charles, that uh, is that why... Uh, there's such le- le- not so much crime. I mean, there is crime everywhere, but we it's just not the same as in Chicago. Just a few, you know, minutes by car from where from where you are. And uh, I, I was thinking, is what about crime is the issue facing us now with the Safety Act and the and Governor Pritzker demanding and. Cajoling. Well, you should say what the Safety Act is, because if there's ever been a misnamed law, <laughs> that is it. Oh, it, it makes me safe just saying it, Charles. Right. Well, we talked about we did t- dive into it last week about it, but the Safety uh-huh. Act is, as most people, some people may know, it essentially eliminates cash bail in, in Illinois and goes into effect on January first, twenty twenty three. Passed two years ago in the, in the at five a.m. an eight hundred pound page bill. And anybody I've talked to who's ever either either had signed, voted for it, or has seen it, uh, so that that there's it wasn't light reading. There's no way anybody read it. And well, I thought that the key provision was that if you shoot somebody, it's an eighteen dollar fine and just send it in. <laughs> well, you have to get you have to get caught by one of those shooting speed cameras. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, safety act is a is a big deal in yeah. Illinois. But you've got you've got people who no longer think that the streets are safe, and that's been true for a long time in uh, in uh, minority communities on the south side and the west side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's we've now seen 
uh, some of that spread to other neighborhoods and we've seen uh, problems downtown. Uh, And, um, and what I've been trying to think, what is it? I mean, uh, the causes of crime are, uh, are one issue, but what, what strikes me is the near total breakdown of the willingness of ordinary bourgeois people, people who uh, get married, have two kids, you know, try to pay on a mortgage on their house, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. A breakdown of their willingness to actually enforce the law. They somehow don't think that they have uh, um, a legitimate right to uh, uh, say to the whole to everyone, you can't, uh, you can't do that. Walk in and smash, uh, you know, and trash a store and smash all the glass and steal all the watches. Right. Uh, and if you do, uh, you're going to be staying in jail, uh, because you're a threat, um, until we can get you into court. And then we're not going to let you plead down, uh, to the point where it's like a parking ticket. Two years ago, we had a, a discussion like this around a subject that is is not associated with uh, violence in the country, but I associate it. It, it was the Democratic mayors of every mm-hmm. big city uh, almost courting or at least appeasing um Black Lives Matter and the people mm-hmm. who are organizing from the hard left, those George Floyd protests. And I've always considered George Floyd a victim of police murder and mm-hmm. have written so mm-hmm. and said mm-hmm. so. But it, what the, what was going on was sort of like a weaponization, weaponizing mm-hmm. of, of discourse for the November, for the November elections, the presidential elections to come in which uh, Biden met Trump, and I think I don't think uh, I don't think the American people have forgotten those times. I think uh, they they will never forget. Wondering, honey, why can't we have a gun in, if we live in Chicago? Why can't we go just go and get one, and uh, all that that came with uh, the fear. Yeah, and, and and there were riots all the summer. And uh, when the Democrats met in Milwaukee, they didn't mention them. Uh, There was, uh, I mean, they just tried to ignore uh, the issue. They're now saying, of course, that that they were on the other side of the issue. But the problem is um, all these cities are governed by progressive Democratic mayors and they're in a near total meltdown and the uh, and the epicenter is uh minneapolis which used to be one of the safest cities in the country uh and which is where the george floyd riots happened but nobody i mean how nobody is saying that any of these things have anything to do with social justice so what i'm trying to understand is when uh why it is and the people in new york um after all elected a former policeman to be the mayor and he seems to have collapsed entirely well because he he can't handle the uh soros prosecutor in uh alvin bragg in new york 
no more than uh, the uh, mayor Lightfoot could handle yeah. uh, Kim well, Fox. Surprised. And then, yeah, and so Lori decided, you know, go full Phallus Maximus and support uh, Kim Fox for re-election, and, and she wonders why people are just waiting for her to leave. And then when she has, and then the the head of McDonald's, ah. who mm. who has, you know, venues all over Chicago and is trying oh. to hire people to work and to come into work and says, look, safety's a real problem here. And then her response is he needs to educate himself. Well, right. I would say his problem is not lack of education. His problem was that he, he spoke truth uh, to ignorance. Right. I mean, to, to just... Uh, sheer blindness mm-hmm. so how will all this manifest itself you're the political scientist at this table we're just journalists how, how does this manifest itself in, our, in the elections to come in november and then the one after well it's impossible to speak about the 2024 uh election we just don't it's just too far away yeah. but i think the 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 one that that's coming now the question is, how big will the red wave be in the House of Representatives? How uh, how big will the margin be for Republicans? And then it's surprising that the Senate looks actually close. I mean, it could be that the Republicans will take it. It could be that they won't. But given the fact that there's inflation, we're in a recession, um, there's crime problems the border is open it's just shocking uh that the party out of power the one that's not associated with those uh is not in a far far stronger position and part of that has to do with the fact that then when the republicans uh nominated uh a number of their nominees were relatively weak or inexperienced candidates and then the democrats who've been saying uh, uh, that Trump uh, is a threat to democracy and people uh, who vote for Trump are a threat to democracy. The president are, says that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are, um, are, we're actually donating lar- millions of dollars to these Trump candidates because they thought that they could be beat. Well, that's maybe smart politics, but it's, but you can't make the argument that these people are a real threat, and yet we want to we want to fund their campaigns. It's just it, it it's a level of cynicism that's normally hidden rather than exposed. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people have forgotten the summer of 2020 or the fear that they felt, and I don't think they'll ever forget that. At least those who lived through the the riots as we did. When we moved, Betty and I moved into the city, giving uh, Lori Lightfoot a chance and Governor Pritzker a chance, and we're going to think about investing here and we're going to move here. Well, people are voting with their feet, as you yeah, did. Yeah, more I so mean, am. You know, I mean, uh, this is the first time, I think, in history that California has lost population. It's certainly lost uh, representatives. Illinois is, mm-hmm. has lost uh, uh, New York's state is lost the northeast is lost uh and um it may be that the best governed uh city in the country right now is uh miami and it's it's the only large city that's governed by a republican 
you know, I mean, yeah. the, it's try, it's making a real move to try to be, uh, yeah. um, to recruit all of these refugees from the north, not just people who are going there for the winter, but people who want to move there. And Texas has done the Texas and Tennessee has done the same. Nashville has been a uh, you know a real growing area of very high priced houses yeah. now and all the rest. Can't we go to the real estate, Charles, and sell like Mississippi to <laughs> snowbirds? Um, Maybe no. the Gulf. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bubba, Bubba Gump, Bubba Gump well let me like just tell, let me let me just say as somebody from the mississippi delta which is just below memphis uh when the when the temperature in the in the summer is 100 and the uh, and so is the humidity it's real and the land is flat as a pancake it's real hard to convince people to move there yeah but i think i think you gotta just give them a plate of steaming hot shrimp and grits (laughs) spicy shrimp and grits that'll take care of it you are absolutely talking about one of my favorite dishes and there is a place in hyde hyde park now that that makes that makes a really good shrimp and grits in fact there are two places that make a really good shrimp and grits let's hear hear. where are they well, um, they're not ever they're not sponsors of this show, so this is like one of them is called Messler. Right. is called Messler. It's on Fifty Third Street. It's in a little boutique hotel, and uh, it it's shrimp and grits is really excellent. And then the other is is got a real New Orleans name, Rue R O U X Rue Butter and, and Flour, has, huh? Butter and Flour, my friend. That's right. <laughs> yeah. that, that's right, as they say in New Orleans. <laughs> that, that's that? that's that? the best. Who that? Uh, and uh, it's on 55th Street uh, at the university, uh, almost at Cottage Grove, uh, uh, on 55th Street. And it, it's just uh, uh, really good uh, shrimp and grits and some other treats as well. So uh, I, 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 like, I like that. I like that. But you know that. Uh, grits were uh, illegal uh, for school lunches for a while. No, why? Well, it it's a good example of of un, a sort of unintended consequences and how the government can kind of move in to take over things. Remember when Michelle Obama uh, got into the uh, the uh, healthy food kick? Yeah, that was terrible. Nobody, and no, none of the kids liked her food. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> the key person, by food. the way, the key person, by the way, was uh, her um, her chef. Right. His last name, I hesitate to tell you, John, was it's the same as yours. Cass. Yes. Yeah, but guess what? My uncle Leon, your former colleague <laughs> and uh, an uh, eminent bioethicist at yes. the University of Chicago, my uncle Leon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just tell the guys at the Tribune we were uh, he was my uncle and they're like, Really? All the science writers they're like, Really? Leon Cash is your uncle? I believe like, that the yeah. first time I booked him to your show when he came get- on, right? <laughs> he a, he's a great well, guy. Uh he um this is another yet another cast uh from Hyde Park. The father taught it in the lab school. And the son, you know, was from Hyde Park and he became right. the chef. And they put in all of these uh, good food ideas for kids. There were a couple of problems. One was that the kids didn't eat the stuff. Yeah. Right. 
The second was even if they did, you would need to check their diets to see if they then went after school and just right. gorged on chocolate or whatever. Or pizza, which they considered actually a, a, a very good food. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. A big mistake was made when Michelle Obama, it was mm-hmm. t- typical central planning Marxist mm-hmm. horse poop. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You cannot. Here's okay. what you do. You want the kids to eat lunch? Hire the grandmothers, okay, of every neighborhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you hire the grandmothers in certain neighborhoods, and you guess what? On Wednesdays, we're eating oxtails, okay? And everyone's like, yeah, grandma, okay, come on. Let's have oxtails. And you pick them up, and they're juicy, and you, you know, stick your face in there, and you uh, get all that, all that he, meat he, out of there. You can't yeah. even bring homemade food to schools so anymore. So they, when, when she put in that thing, right. th- there were such limits on carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. That you couldn't, that these southern schools that normally serve grits for lunch couldn't do it. And, but here's to me an, an interesting element of it. For the hundreds of years of the American Republic, there had never, nobody, and there, uh, all, school lunches were always a responsibility of the local school board. No, and there was no law that ever changed that that said, no, we don't want the local school board to handle school lunches. Those will be dictated from Washington. Nobody ever said that. What they did do, however, was a good thing, which was that they made money available to schools uh, to make sure that poor kids didn't have to pay for a school lunch. And that's right. now been extended to breakfast and dinner. And so there are schools that basically provide uh, poorer children and sometimes all the children uh, with uh, all of their meals. But as soon as the government starts doing that, it says, well, you can't choose what you're going to serve them for meals. We're we're paying for it, so we're going to tell you. And that's exactly what happened here. And then, uh, and then who tells them? Well, the Congress was never going to pass a rule that says, here's what's a good school lunch. Right. They're going to say it's up to, you know, a, uh, the Department of Education or the Department of Health and Human Services, something like that. Yeah. And then they're going to pass a rule. And it says you can't have this carbohydrates through right. that carbohydrate. Were they going to ask based on parents? some expert? Yeah, they're going to, based on some experts, and or maybe not, just based on a mid-level well, bureaucrat. <laughs> experts the in point quotes. is, this is what, this is actually one of the things, going back to populism, that's fueled a lot of populism. People feel like they're being ruled by right. people they didn't elect. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't elect you to tell me I can't have my spicy shrimp and grits. <laughs> Kick it up a notch, because I got to have it. <laughs> And I'm, I, you know what? I almost feel like driving over to Downers Grove right now and seeing my friend Jimmy, because he's got juicios at uh, on Fifty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, John, I tell you, my favorite place for this kind of food is that on my trips when I drive down from Chicago to Memphis, I stop at a place called Lambert's, home of the throwed rolls. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-mm. No, but in I, the boot hill of Missouri. Although they, one of the children must have moved down to the uh, what they call the Redneck Riviera in Alabama, Gulf Shores. And just before you get into Gulf Shores, there's another one. But Lambert's home of the throat rolls. And you, it's in the boot hill of Missouri, just over from, from southern Illinois. And 
you stop in there and you would order something like a chicken fried steak and you'd uh-uh. get, you Love know, that. and you'd get a couple of vegetables. And then people come around with buckets of things like fried okra and uh-huh. grits and dish them up for free onto your plate. And except for one thing, rolls. They and those throw. they throw to you. All right, what <laughs> about I, dropping them? Because the I, I tell you, I I was once there was once like a four year old kid at one of the next booths. Oh, you could give it to the four year old kid if it drops. No, no, no. They threw rolls. it gently to him. You yeah. would have thought he caught the home run in the seventh game of the World Series. Oh, the parents were happy. Oh, everybody was happy as a camper. (laughs) Well, Charles, thank you for your time. Always I love listening to you and and picking your brain on what's going on. It's uh, it's, it's always interesting. Well, I appreciate you saying it because with you guys, it's a genuine conversation. It really is. If you want to read more Charles Lipson, follow him on Twitter at Charles underscore Lipson. Or go to charleslipson.com, and you'll see all his stuff that he writes for all these fascinating uh, publications where you can find it all. My my only concern, yes, I'm asking this of everybody now, is uh, go not only read what people you like, get out of your silo uh, and read, make yourself a promise that of the next five articles you read three will be from people you disagree with be sure to take your uh, high blood pressure medicine before doing so i don't <laughs> read the tribune because my blood pressure is so high that i don't want it to pop you know <laughs> but, <laughs> nice uh, to talk to you guys see you buddy hey charles bye charles for charles lipson professor emeritus university of chicago the peter b ritzma chair Writer, talker, thinker, professor. You could read them at charleslipson.com. And for Jeff Carlin, executive producer, WGN Radio, my friend and co-host here. Master of cats, baker of pies. He doesn't bake me any more pies because I can't eat his pies. But we can have, we did have a great uh, Indian lunch, though. Indian dinner. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of johncassnews.com. As long as you keep subscribing, I'll keep writing. Deal? Listen to us again for another edition of the Chicago Way Podcast on WGN+. Plus.